welcome to another episode of Do I Still Love It? The podcast that knows where the beef is. <laughs> That's just a really <laughs> awkward statement. I know where the beef, I, I tell that old lady, I know where the beef I've is. I've known where the beef was my whole life. I grew up in Iowa. It is a beefy town. <laughs> state. That's a state. Mm. <laughs> I'm from Ohio. Any state that begins and ends with a vowel is a beefy state. It's a beefy state, <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, I'm from Davie, Florida. There's a sign. Google Maps it. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, where's the beef? And it's like right across from Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe, that's where I'm from. And so, yeah, I would like drive by that all the time, so. Is it, now is Ivanhoe like a beef growing, harvesting, herding town? N- or no. is it just an existential question? <laughs> <laughs> like the town's asking your town, where's the beef? So, uh, yeah, you're listening to Do I Still Love It, the podcast where Laura and I ask some guests over to watch a movie that they loved when they were kids to see whether they still love it now that they're grown-ups. And our uh, guests today are actress and writer Natalie Delasio and comedian actor Kevin Stafford. Hello. Thank Hello. you for having us on. <laughs> yeah, so we have, uh, we have this delightful couple on to review The NeverEnding Story from yes. 1984. The much lauded uh, children's like cult classic. Y'all, I'm mm-hmm. excited for this one. The like, never-ending story. I see. <laughs> okay, so I have a few songs in my life that I just make up words to and then sing them over and over and over again. And this is the original. Yeah. Mm. So I would just be like, gonna do the laundry. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this, is, this is my life, so I'm very excited about it. <laughs> the, uh, the title song of this was composed by Giorgio Moroder and was performed by Christopher Lamal Hamill, who was mm. the lead singer of Kajagoogoo, oh. the, the band that did, you know, You're too sha sha oh. hush, hush, Something yeah. also very important to note, like, Giorgio Moroder was, like, one of the original, like, cool instrumental things, and now actually, in this day and age, a lot of people have started to, like, hail him as, like, this pre-EDM, EDM genius. And he's come back in in the last... I heard a really interesting... This is the 80s Skrillex. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Skrillex, yeah. Late 70s, early 80s Skrillex. Sure. Yeah. Like Skrillex plus disco. <laughs> Skrillex. 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 So, uh, in uh, 30 seconds or less, uh, Natalie and Kevin, can you describe what you remember the plot of NeverEnding Story being? Hmm. Well, I think... I mean, we have separate, we didn't know each other as children, so we have separate memories. Of <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But for me, so the NeverEnding Story was on, in my household, we had a, a lot of movies. I was very much a movie family, and a lot of them were taped off of TV on those VHSs, so they were like written titles, and it was like four movies taped onto one. So the NeverEnding Story was on one of those, so I had to like search for it to find it like it was the true treasure right. that it is. Our uh, younger viewers may not know, but there was a time when you had to <laughs> record things onto tape, which that's hard to explain. But, uh, but, you, <laughs> but yeah, you had, you like, it was sort of like TiVo, but it would be TiVo that you'd store on tapes. And mm-hmm. so you could TiVo, like, yeah, between three and four movies on a given <laughs> solid VHS tape. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, so I would watch it. I don't really... I mean, last time I watched it, I was probably seven or eight. So I don't remember a lot of the movie. I remember a giant turtle. That's a big part of the reason I love it. That <laughs> giant turtle in the beginning. 
You, you don't like Zombie Boy? I like turtles. <laughs> I like the turtle. <laughs> the song, yeah. which we've clearly demonstrated, I remember. It's classic. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember the dog's name. The dog god. The dog god <laughs> dragon. Dog god. The dog god it's dragon. It's a good palindrome. <laughs> The dog god dragon. Uh huh. Is a luff dragon. Right? He was a luff dragon. He was a luck dragon. Always thought it was luff like Lufthansa. Oh, he does fly yeah. <laughs> like an airplane. <laughs> and for some reason, kind of, I identify with the kid in the attic during the lightning storm. Natalie, what stood out to you as a as a child? You know, here's the thing for me. Um, I was raised in a Cuban household, Cuban Italian household, where a lot of things were evil and not good for you. Like the never-ending story. So I wasn't allowed to watch it. It was a a no-no. I was also homeschooled (laughs) Um, until I was 15. Um, Under close watch. Yeah, and then I and then I but I then I went to a really cool school, a Pembroke Pines Charter, and everybody there was awesome. So PPCHS, I love everybody. <laughs> we suddenly um, surge in popularity. Yeah, yeah, no, they were awesome. Everybody there at the school school. But um, no, I, I I wasn't really allowed to watch that movie um, because I was I was yeah I was just told it was evil, and then but I do remember little parts that I would like catch, which would be like. Um, the the opening song and then immediately it was like Natalie and I was like Fuck, you know <laughs> um, like they would they would hear it like in the other room yeah Natalie is listening to she's watching that evil thing wait she's got a smile on her face no no I'm just like no it's okay no I think it was I think it was the the way it was shot I think you know honestly to to be completely honest I think my parents were just it looked it didn't look friendly it looks dark. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and that that is very true. Like in trying to remember it, it looks <laughs> very dark in my head. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. Laura, what and do and you remember? And they're foreign. They're yeah, what do you remember? Like what stood out to you? Horse death. <laughs> oh. God. Oh. Horse death. Oh, yeah. Y'all, I don't know if you remember if you've listened to this show before. This is a, a trope of my childhood. <laughs> I don't handle horse death well. It is a specific thing. It's been hard on me my whole life. And uh. this one, I just remember the horse death. I don't remember anything else other than that. Scarred <laughs> oh. me as a child. Oh, man. I remember loving this movie and not being able to deal with that. And I don't remember how the horse dies. I just know it does. Yeah, uh, I think the thing that really stood out to me, I, I loved puppets. Listeners of the show know how much I'm a big advocate of puppets on the show. <laughs> I, I just fucking love puppets. Like, I We have yet to watch a show, a movie with puppets in it, where like the puppets were the bad part of it. Even Legend, which was crap. Like, <laughs> the puppets were awesome. Legends was the worst. My mom loves Legend. Yeah, That's we did. unfortunate. We had Sean George and Michael Chow on to watch Legend, and the four oh. of us were dumbfounded by how <laughs> bad that movie is. It's got Tim Curry being awesome, and it's the only thing that's awesome. But then Tom Cruise is being terrible. Honestly, at this point, I think that we have shit-talked Legend in every episode (laughs) since then. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we're not allowed to not shit-talk Legend at every (laughs) episode. Yeah. Aside from the puppets, the thing that really resonated to me was the darkness. Like, Mm. I think I was kind of a brooding uh, kid. Uh, Like, I was, like, an excitable, chatty kid or whatever, but, like, I also, like dug stuff that seemed like it was for kids but that didn't have like the kid gloves on 
and I think that was the thing that made me really like things like the Dark Crystal and the Neverending Story because it didn't feel like they like squeaky cleaned it up. They're like, there's going to be violence and there's going to be like scary moments because life is violent and scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really stood out to me um, is the monster who represents the nothing. So I remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember that the thing mm-hmm. the the antagonist of the movie is the nothing which is like destroying all of the the fantasy world that this is taking place in and that it's avatar is this evil like wolf monster who like i've always thought is utterly terrifying and at the same time really fucking cool (laughs) and so um and i think like as a kid it like really terrified me because I think the puppet looks really fucking real. I'm going to be really disappointed if we watch this movie and the puppet looks fake as shit because I remember thinking it looks really real and really scary. Oh, but man. like I was like scared shitless but also thinking it was really cool. I don't have high hopes for that holding up. Man, the puppet. We're but it might out. be cool. But we will find out. Yeah. Well, won't you mm. find out with us uh, as you join us in watching 1984's the never ending story. The never ending story. What is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never ending story? You will enter a world where a young boy's imagination becomes a vivid reality. The world of Atreyu and Artax, the Rockbiter, and a good and kind gnome. A world that is vast and eternal, treacherous and dazzling, unforgettable and free. For anyone who's ever made a wish, believed in a fantasy, or had a dream, this is The NeverEnding Story. So that was uh, 1984's The Neverending Story. And uh, so I just kind of want to get first impressions from Kevin and Natalie after coming back. Uh, we just finished watching it. And uh, Natalie, what is your initial impression? I mean, I totally understand why my very foreign family was not on board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah. And nothing personal. They just, like, I mean, it, it does look terrifying for them at first. Like, they came from Cuba. Like, let's be real, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, like, weird looking. Imagery is very dark. Yeah, it's a very dark imagery. But especially with the detached parent in the top, that was what, like, that's when I knew that they were done with the movie. Because if they saw that and they saw a parent be like, no, just get over the fact that your mom's dead, They'd be like, absolutely not. <laughs> Family's everything. We're watching <laughs> Disney. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's exactly what probably happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it actually had nothing to do with the content. It was yeah. just we do not approve of, of this message. And once yeah. again, yeah, yeah, and this is this is one of many moments in my life that I'm now realizing as an adult. There's so many things I haven't watched because my parents are like bad parenting. You're not watching. <laughs> that's hilarious. Thing, it's not a, they weren't afraid of bad messaging. They were afraid of Exposing you to bad family examples. Yes. I kind of 
Yeah. Like, I can get behind that. That's <laughs> Do they object to, like, uh, Full House, too? Because it's like one, it's like three <laughs> brothers trying to raise three daughters. They're trying really hard. Yeah, they're trying. And then uh, Aunt Becky's there. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, a bit of, I think they added her a few seasons in, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Kevin, what, were, uh, what was your first impression? Oh, first impression. Uh, well, you know, it's like a definitely a classic 80s bad movie, So, but it's great. <laughs> and I still love it. Oh, all right. Oh, <laughs> dropped it? Dropped it right at the beginning. But that's all right. Um, so, I, I mean, I love this movie. Like, I... This movie has the coolest message, mm-hmm. which is basically like, don't ever stop dreaming in the way a kid dreams. But it, it tells it in a very terrifying way <laughs> of like, you're literally going to kill everything and murder that entire world that existed if you don't keep dreaming about it. So it's like a really kind of like shame inducing way of getting you to keep dreaming. I feel like this movie greatly impacted my entire worldview around like imagination. If you don't cultivate your own imagination, it'll eventually disappear on you. Like all the all the you know fantastical characters and imaginary friends that you ever had, like you were the sole creator of them. Mm-hmm. And the moment that you stop exercising your imagination, they slowly start fading away. And I think that idea really kind of, like, rocked me and, like, really stuck with me as a kid. In the real world, a boy is dealing with the death of his mom, and his dad... (laughs) His egg yolk, orange juice, drinking dad. In a blender. (laughs) He just... At one point, we're like, what is his dad doing? As we watch him crack (laughs) eggs into orange juice in a blender, blend them up, and then just start chugging it. You know, this might be... Like the weird thing that people did in the eighties and the way that like in the fifth in the sixties and seventies they would eat like jello that had ham in it and stuff like that. Ew. Ooh, yes, like those jello salads and wow. stuff. So gross. <laughs> There's a lot so of horrifying gross. food things that happened in the twentieth century. Yeah. yeah. And his dad has a mustache and when he drinks some of that orange juice and egg <laughs> oh. milk mixture, it gets in his mustache and I was oh. kind of barfing a little that bit in my mouth. Not something I noticed and I'm like I really immediately freaked out closed by it. my eyes. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. <laughs> If I close my eyes now, my amazing imagination is just like <laughs> repopulating that visual. So much eggs and mustache. Oh no, my fantasia is a man with egg yolk <laughs> mustaches. Uh, yeah, and and his dad is like berating him for still being down in the dumps about his mom yeah. who died earlier that year. It's rough. Yeah, I heard my parents immediately in my head at that point, just being like, "That is." Awful. Like, <laughs> like we can't uh, let that t- stop the machine or whatever. It's just everything that is so cold. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Natalie, so your so your your family like at, like it's nice it sounds at least that they were really advocating for you to be like in touch with your emotions <laughs> and like understand that you shouldn't push bad feelings down or whatever. Yeah. They understand that your family's there for support. Right. They're smothering you, loving, loving you. That's what it is. Right? Yeah. Loving you so much. <laughs> they love you too much as opposed, yeah. to a, as opposed to like Midwest white family single dad who's just like, hush that up, son. Like, stiff upper lip. You're only eight. You have responsibility. Yeah. Literal yeah. line from this movie. No, right. if I sneeze or they'd just be like, what are you crying about? And I'm like, I'm not crying, but I was. <laughs> like they always knew. They were just like, yeah. they're funny. 
Yeah, you know, thinking about this, this movie draws some parallels to like Peter Pan because like Peter That's Pan has a, yeah, it has a similar message where the kids in Peter Pan are told like it's time for them to grow up, to you know, put aside childish things, mm-hmm. uh, and then this boy, this like adventurous boy who never grows up either Peter Pan or Atreyu, like, shows up and is like, no, 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 let me take you to some sweet fantasy world that doesn't really exist, and it's all yeah. in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what happens. <laughs> our <laughs> our main character steals a book yeah, from like a bookseller. Yeah, Neverland was disappeared. He was, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. B- bullied. So this is just a ripoff of Peter Pan? <laughs> or not, well, I mean, well, I, I, it could derivative. be a derivative of Peter Pan. German perhaps. Peter Pan. German Peter Pan. To... Um, <laughs> and, you know, set in, in modern days, which I think was the... So this movie has really shoddy editing. Yeah. <laughs> Almost every scene will just be smash cut between uh between camera angles and sometimes it's really jarring. Yeah, there was one toward the end where they cut from the nothing eating everything to them just like flying through a blue sky. <laughs> yeah. That didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's no gradation. Like how did they get away from the nothing and get to clear blue skies? <laughs> yeah. It was just very weird. Uh, but so our our kid, he's like being picked on and he goes and he steals a book from a bookstore and it's the never ending story and then decides to skip class and leaves hang an out. IOU. He lives in yeah. I.O.U. Well, yeah, he was even bullied into reading the book. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was like the guy's thing. like, yeah. you're too scared to read this book. You're not going to read this book, pal. And then he puts the book down and goes away to take a yeah. phone call. <laughs> yeah. Phone call. And then Vin gives like the knowing nod, like taboos, making things taboo. <laughs> yeah. Fastest way to make kids want something is tell them they can't have it. Right? <laughs> yeah, he'd be a good parent. Yeah. <laughs> he parented better than the dad did. <laughs> he did. Uh, yeah, he's like ex- he's excoriating the kids over like playing video games instead of like reading these dusty rectangular <laughs> yeah. things. They're called books. I haven't had an eighty-six. He's got 186 books. He knows the number of books. Right. I would too. And then he <laughs> lists all some classics and the kid and the the old grumpy man who I as soon as he's sitting there I'm like I know exactly what that man like reeks of. He's like sweaty and unshaven. He it, looked to me like a B-list Sean Connery. Yes. He was he was if Sean Connery and Wilford Brimley had a baby. Oh wow, that would be menthol. Yeah. Smells of menthol, menthol and like cheap Cheap whiskey, soup, mothballs. A lot of soup. soup. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I'm obviously a lifelong bachelor, and I grew up in 1950s America, so I know how to make food. I'm a Campbell's man, which is the reason why my blood pressure is 202 over 70. Wow, we really spent a lot of time on that guy. Yeah. I I felt that guy deserved it. I feel like we all felt something when he was on screen. We were all like, what is this? Well, so, Natalie and Kevin, were you bookish kids? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was a book reader. Yeah, yeah, I learned English when I was seven, so reading was a big deal for me. I it was I spoke Spanish first. So was it integral reading English language mm-hmm. books to your studying? Yeah. So what uh, what was like your favorite book when you were a kid? <sighs> wow. Okay, I was like, I, um, hmm. I used to read Matilda. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Because I wanted to be Matilda. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I must be her. <laughs> Kevin, what was your favorite book? The Phantom Tollbooth was a big oh, one for me. I love The Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. And the uh, the Narnia collection. Mm. and uh, Nancy Drew. 
Again, you know, Phantom Tollbooth, Narnia, and uh, Neverending Story, Peter Pan, they're Mm -hmm. all about real kids going to fantasy worlds and, like, then experiencing it firsthand, which is pretty cool. Sort of like Alice in Wonderland also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a whole genre, now that I think about it. It's like a whole genre of kid gets transported to fantasy world, may or may not be in that kid's head. I mean, it's the ultimate kid fantasy. Right. It's like if you could actually experience your own imagination as a physical, tangible space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys remember Harriet the Spy, right? Yeah, yeah. When when that movie came out, I dressed like her for like a month because I was like, (laughs) I'm going to get a case and I'm going to crack it and my life's going to change. Adorable. Did you carry out on a composition notebook and take... Yes. copious notes about everything around absolutely. you absolutely and everyone was just like this is that freakish kid that's learning English so <laughs> <laughs> like okay <laughs> Laura what was your favorite book growing up you know up? the book that's coming to my mind right now is Sideways Stories from Wayside School yeah oh, yeah. yeah um uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know why that's the specific book coming to my head, but I loved all those books. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a really good one. I really love James and the Giant Peach. Oh, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, James and the Giant Peach was a good one, and uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was an exceptionally long book, and I was a bit of a, um insomniac as a kid, and my <laughs> mom had read in one of her books that, like, audiobooks, having a kid listen to audiobooks would help him go to sleep, and it worked. But we would get really long audiobooks and we'd make sure I could fall asleep in it. And so I must have listened to The Adventure of Huckleberry Finn like a million times as a kid. It's so funny to think of a kid as an insomniac. You know what I mean? It's like as an adult, we're all insomniacs. You know, so like, yeah. even as a kid, we've been sure. not now. Yeah, I, I'm a sound sleeper now, but when really? I was a kid, I was just so hyperactive mm-hmm. that even mm-hmm. if I'm like laying still, I'd be just thinking about so many things. So like listening to an audiobook, you like your brain can kind of like turn off. Mm. Probably not now. I feel bad for any kid now because the ADD would like be driving me crazy. Uh, That's good for you, though, to fall asleep to a book. Yeah. That's awesome. You're, like, learning words in your sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and then the cool part is you just get to listen to so many classics. There's, yeah. like, my... The number of books I read as a kid was dramatically higher because I was listening to a bunch of them. Mm. Yeah. Look um, at you ahead of the curve with the audiobook. It's good, to, right? it's good to know we all have four book nerds on a podcast where we're talking <laughs> about a movie about a book based on a book. <laughs> the book was actually written by Michael Inde, who's German. It was written in German. And he had took great umbrage with this adaptation of the film, actually, and, like, unsuccessfully sued to have the name changed or at least have his name taken off of it. And they're like, nope to both. (laughs) And he lost, so his name is still on it. That's horrifying. (laughs) Yeah. That's the worst, to, like, spend these years writing a creative thing and then it get made into something that you don't, Oh, I would hate that. I would hate that. Yeah. Oh, I think I had read that in recent years because of the success and the, like, prolonged cult classicness of the movie has brought a lot more kids to actually reading the book. He now, I think, considers it sort of a wash. Like, oh, okay, well, it was an ill-conceived promotional move for the book then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, But, yeah, so our our hero Bastion... essentially skips class but goes to school and hides out in the attic which is like really cool attic it's like the uh the the attic in the goonies just filled with all sorts of like skeletons and treasure chests and shit dust and cobwebs and disease and yeah yeah disease (laughs) so bastion the actor who plays bastion is not good (laughs) 
Like he, I love how you didn't even ask for opinions. Yeah, sorry, I'm gonna, throw, is I'm gonna throw it out there. I don't think the actor played Bash was very good, and every time they cut back to him from the fantasy story, it immediately took me out. I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. It's like this would be a really cool movie without this kid. Right, right. There's just a He's lot kind of, of screaming important. going on from the boys. Yeah. Right. They were so yelly. Yeah. There is a lot of yelling. Well, I think it's because that's. We teach like little boys. Like that's how you sound important is yell. You yeah. yell the things you want. <laughs> oh, that's t- <laughs> terrible. The little princess girl was so calm. I was just like, this is so. This is too much for me. <laughs> what is screaming? Yeah, at the very end when we finally meet the empress, who we we never learn the name. No, that he named her right. Uh, well, we we can if we turn on the subtitles but i've already written it down because i was like i didn't get that i i looked it up oh how funny okay so so just jumping around a little bit yeah um he learns the oracle that the only way that they can save fantasia is if a human child gives the empress a new name and he names her he he names her moon child which I take issue with because... Oh, I always thought you named her, like, what his mom's name was. Exactly. Okay, so there's a... We are jumping all over the place. But... Uh. <laughs> so there's a point, like, midway through... Okay, wait, hold on. So he starts reading the book, and the book gets manifest, and we see the world of Fantasia. And, uh... <laughs> and so this is going to be our whole adventure. Um, but at one point... It, it would continue to cut back to Bastion up in the attic. And one point it cuts back to him after he learns that a, tr- that a human child has to name the Empress. He goes, oh, I just give him my mother's name. She had a great name. And so I think we were all led to believe that he's going to name the child. Maybe his mom's name is his Moon Child. Child. Uh, hey, we never I learned his it. mom's name. The Empress, it's interesting because I was thinking that the, the the characters in the beginning that had like double faces and all that reminded me of tarot. Like uh-huh. I, I read tarot. So in tarot, there's like different like drawings and stuff like that. And some of the, yeah, they just looked like some of the paintings and stuff like that. And then when it was the Empress, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's a card. So Moon Child could pretty much be either like the Moon card or the High Priestess card. And if she's becoming the High Priestess, then she's going back to one and she's going to the beginning. And then this could actually be like a very spiritual story. But I was sitting there thinking Whoa. like, Whoa. is this a spiritual story? Am I getting some sort of lesson right now? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, Scary Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't know it was Moon Child. Yeah. It's, uh, and I don't, and it's never really explained why he decides to name it that. I'm gonna just that. say that his mom's name was Moonchild. <laughs> yeah. Because it's the, okay, so he's like a, he's like 11 probably, and so that would mean he was probably born in 1973, meaning that's perfect. She totally could have been a super hippie. So, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, no, Moonchild was his mom's name. Right. Done. <laughs> Crack the case. <laughs> and that would explain how this, like, straight laced, keep your head out of the clouds, kid. Dad could produce a kid with as robust an imagination as Sebastian. And why he maybe you know, wasn't grieving the loss of his wife too much, because he's like, she was weird. Yeah, I'm on board with her idea, because I think that his mother went into his dreams and was like, you need to name this woman Moonchild. Like, don't forget your sweet hippie mom, yes. dude. Uh, all right, so going back to the beginning. So we learned that the world of Fantasia is being destroyed by a, a force called the Nothing. Uh, which looks really cool, like the storm from Stranger Things Season 2. <laughs> and when they're in the the world that's being destroyed by the nothing, uh, 
we have a moment where we go to like the castle that the empress lives in and suddenly all the fucking puppets show up and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many cool costume like fantasy monsters. There's like giant stone head guys and split fish men. Yeah. 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 Little pelican. Yeah, there's like some bird thing. All sorts of like really cool characters. The costume design is like awesome. Uh, And uh, then this like wizard with like a shark's fin coming out of his head <laughs> yeah. a, a black wizard which i was like hell yeah <laughs> i was i was digging it i was like digging everything about this scene with all these like fantasy creatures holding court <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie uh-huh. just cuz there's so many oh it's puppets. absolutely beautiful yeah, yeah. like the scene. design in that i mean the vis- i think the visual design in this movie is so kind of it, it's like one of the best examples of this type of um, art direction, and um, so like that scene was really cool because just the, it was just like it was a costume designer's dream scene. Right. Yeah, and I would definitely I you know I forget what the character's name is the one with the very like pointy nose in the beginning the puppet or not puppet but he was just like a, oh the dude oh, that rides yeah. the bat yes. Yeah. Uh, the Night Hub. There the we Night go. Hub. Yeah, I was really impressed with his, just his overall <laughs> persona. Because I was like, in mm-hmm. high school we did this thing called Commedia dell'arte where you like have to act with masks. And um, it's just hard to act with something on your face, definitely. And just having this like actual physical thing that does take away from the things that you as an actor would do that would just give away whatever feeling you have. So I was like, that scene was really cool. I think it was awesome. And I, I think all those actors playing it were amazing. I'm like, they, should, they need to get credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean we have we have established kind of our like trio of uh like good guy creatures in the beginning that includes the rock fighter, uh the night hob who's like this like little goblin that rides on a bat. And then uh Deep Roy, we have Deep Roy showing up again. Who's Deep Roy? So Deep Roy plays the racing snail driver. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and Deep Deep Roy he... is a um he's a little person actor of Indian descent. Okay. Who shows up throughout the eighties. And he's just great because he's like he's just like a really charming oh, character every time he shows actor. up yeah. on something. I love that every single one of those guys has a trusty steed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's totally different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they they play. Uh, the idea is that um, the racing snail rider, um, the night hob, and the rock biter are coming from four different cardinal directions, and in every direction, the nothing is destroying the fantasy world. So they're like, "Fuck, we gotta like figure this shit out," in you know less more G-rated terms, and <laughs> uh, and so they all gather up at the uh, the empress's castle, and we see all these sweet puppets, and then uh, Atreyu shows up, and Atreyu's just an eleven year old kid, also. And they all laugh at him, and they all say, why didn't you guys send adult Atreyu? And he's like, I'm the only Atreyu, but I'll go home. And they're like, no, 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 no wait. Yeah. you must help us. But you have <laughs> Even to though we leave- just made fun of you. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to leave all your weapons. You're probably going to die. We have no way to tell you how to do what you need to do, but you have to save the entire universe. And if you don't, you're dead. We're all dead. Okay, bye. No pressure. Yeah. Which made me start wondering, so... Uh, when Atreyu shows up, like, they're shocked by the fact that he's just a boy, that like, essentially the same age as Sebastian. And it makes me wonder, do you think uh, Atreyu always appears as the same, like, age and gender as the person reading the book? 
Yeah, that's actually a good point. I think so. Because didn't that guy say that he was like sucked in in the beginning of the book? Like he was experiencing it? Right. Our librarian yeah. friend. Right. So, yeah. like, oh, that's yeah. so interesting. So, like, we can mm. picture that in the one that the old man read, it would just be this, like, old. Like an old dude. wizard. An old yeah. warrior. Yeah, yeah, old yeah, wizard. That's interesting. Or, like, if, you know, like, if young Natalie was reading the thing, then a young warrior woman would, like, show up. You know, a warrior yeah. girl would show up. That's actually an interesting way to look at it. Now I have to rewatch it, thinking all the time <laughs> that he's like, well, me. I'd be like, well, what would I be saying? Well, stupid, <laughs> will we watch the movie a <laughs> One more time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is the secret of this enchanted book? What wonders are hidden within its pages? What magical spell does it cast on all who read it? What is the secret of the never-ending story? But that's impossible! And we're back. Uh, we just watched Never Ending Story a second we are time. Natalie, all how do you questioning feel? our spirituality? Yeah, <laughs> definitely it was a tarot card. <laughs> yeah, it's not my true self. <laughs> In the mirror, the oracle's second mirror. Yeah. Yes. So Treyu is told he has to leave all of his shit behind, but he doesn't have to leave behind his trusty steed Artax, and the two of them run <laughs> right into a swamp of sorrows, and Sad. Laura immediately starts. They, Don't like, didn't groaning. even allow us any time to bond with the didn't horse. <laughs> we just saw this beautiful white horse, and then suddenly it got sucked into a black swamp of death <laughs> and left a tree alone. Like, I hate that. Like, I don't... I, I feel really weird about the fact that I, I think it was a poorly timed decision in the film, because... <laughs> It would only be more excruciating if they put it deeper <laughs> in the film. There was something very off that was like, they didn't earn killing that horse death. <laughs> and I would be more, I would never be okay with the horse death, but like, I would be more accepting of it as part of the story had it not felt like it was just done for shock value. <laughs> like, this was the first thing that happens. Well, so what, even, it also... even like one interaction when he had the horse... That would have been like maybe they earned it. Yeah, it's noteworthy that the swamp is the. It's basically the first of his three tests before he reaches right. the Southern Oracle, right? And it's the sadness swamp where you can't be sad, or else you sink and you, you guys, die. the horse died because he was too sad. <laughs> the horse was depressed to be Atreyu's only companion. <laughs> However, Atreyu, even whilst trying to save his horse, even onto its death, still didn't sink himself. So he was fine. This entire time. Right. And it's interesting because when the horse is sinking, he, like, gets angry at it. He's like, stupid yeah. horse! At one point he shouts, stupid horse! He went through the seven stages of grief. Yeah. He, like, watched the kid go through. He, like, compromised. Come on, Artax, I'll give you anything. You know? <laughs> uh, so it was, like, just a metaphor of life. It's usually, like, you just graduated high school. Here's your car. And then, boom, car accident, student loans, this, that, da, da, da. And, like, that's how I took it. I was like, actually, oh, okay, good, good Argument. Yeah, argument. yeah, yeah. See, like, because in, in real life, you'd think it'd be more dramatic if you just accumulated debt slowly over time instead of just getting wham, a ton of it right in the beginning. I mean, death is happening every day. <laughs> but this test happens also. So, right, I have a couple of my favorite just quotes, yeah. lines from the movie written down. And uh, as immediately when they set out on this journey, right before they encounter the next to immediate swamp death, uh, 
the narration is they had been traveling aimlessly for almost a week and still hadn't found a cure for the Empress. <laughs> <laughs> traveling aimlessly in a week isn't that long of a time on a quest yeah. to save. <laughs> Especially when you have no you have no idea where you're going, you have no idea why you're going there, you have no idea what you're going to find. And I believe that line is delivered as we see Atreyu just taking a nap by a riverbank, and it's yeah. like, dude, you've got a quest. But nothing is on the way. <laughs> so the horse dies, um, and we meet... Uh, the turtle. Yeah, Senator Mitch McConnell makes a cameo. (laughs) Actually, you know what? That turtle hated everything and didn't care about shit, so yeah, that's fair. The Nihilist turtle. I have that written down here. Nihilist Nihilist turtle. turtle. (laughs) Yeah, so Nihilist turtle shows up. Is your turtle Kevin a Nihilist turtle? No, he's a little sweetheart. The the backstory to all this is that um, when I was a kid, I found a turtle in my pool. I was like brushing my teeth one day and I was like, oh my god, it's a turtle in my swimming pool. And I yelled to my dad and and he got it out, and I named him Kevin. And then, you know, I don't know, twenty something odd years later, I marry a man named Kevin. Who's in a turtle band? Secret: I was that turtle. <laughs> but now I'm a real boy. <laughs> he was a sweet little turtle. He uh, he was actually really calm, and he hated being in his cage like me. <laughs> Do you fear that maybe your turtle became schizophrenic and started talking to itself, referring to itself as we? I mean, I wasn't going to take the conversation there, but... <laughs> but yes. But yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so there's a giant turtle, and Atreyu's like, dude, tell me how to, like, stop the nothing, and the turtle's like, no, dude, sneeze, and sneezes all over him a bunch, and then he Knocks him into the ground a lot. And, yeah. And he's like, I don't care about shit, dude, I'm a nihilist. <laughs> you just feel like it doesn't matter. Sure, I know what to do, but it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. I guess <laughs> But dude, if the nothing... Him- destroys you, then you'll die. I guess he does give him good information of just saying, you have to go to the Southern Oracle. After That's... sneezing on him a bunch. Mm. Yeah, well, that doesn't so matter. I feel like the <laughs> message that the movie is trying to portray there is that deep down all nihilists really do care. <laughs> you just have to badger them. <laughs> yeah, this is a very, like, deep movie. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, the best part of the entire movie. Falcor the Lufthansa dragon <laughs> shows up. And he does it. Like, it's a very high-quality flying experience. Yeah. <laughs> he gets him 9,800 and some miles. He does. Of the 10,000 miles, without mm. even asking, well, he was passed out. Like, that is a quality, like, intercontinental flight. Right. Honestly, it felt like a commercial at one point, because he's like, did you get me all 10,000 miles? No, I did get you 9,891 of the way there was. Which implies that that Atreyu has to still walk 100-something miles. Uh, So he takes him to the 100-and-some-odd miles away from the Oracle, where they meet our two characters, I don't know their names, but our, our old scientist couple, very reminiscent of Billy Crystal's old scientist couple in The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which... I would actually go backwards and say that... That uh, Billy Crystal is reminiscent Billy of. Crystal just ripped this off. <laughs> magical gnomes, magical, like, grumpy witch people who... This couple love who love their house and hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> And they proceed to, like, give medicinal aid to our hero, which, yeah, so, like, the Princess Bride is sort of like a direct yeah, a lifting. Direct... <laughs> all the way down yeah. to the grumpy scientist calls his wife winch all mm-hmm. the time. So they prepare him for the first, uh, and then this guy, old grumpy scientist guy, takes him to the first, uh, well, I guess it's the second quest, right? It's the second challenge that he's encountered after after Sadness Swamp, which is our... Uh, 
naked statue laser eye. <laughs> perfect breasts, laser eyes. Yeah. 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 Um, for those well, of you who don't spheres, know. I don't know if. <laughs> I'm a woman and I have very small breasts. I'm part of the itty bitty ditty committee. Like, they were just like. <laughs> they were huge. Yeah, they were like circles with, with, with little circles in yeah. the center. Yeah. I was watching being like, I don't even know how to carry those myself. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, so laser boob sphinxes uh, yeah. are like, are the first. Uh, like trap this gate and this uh, little wizard gnome is like studying them and is like you have to be confident to go <laughs> through this gate and uh, so then Sebastian in the real world is like you have to be confident <laughs> fictional character like uh, and he believes in himself and is somehow able to get through even though the Sphinx does still launch lasers at him so I, guess, yeah. I just think he was fast enough so he gets through if you can't be confident be fast yeah so he gets through, and he gets to the second gate, which is a mirror gate. And inside the mirror, you're supposed to see your true self. Mm-hmm. And he sees a little boy reading a book. He sees Bastion reading a book. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. And we suddenly understand what the whole movie's about. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, that's not too scary, because he was just like, oh, hey, I guess I'm a little boy reading a book. I'm okay with that. Walks <laughs> through the mirror. But Bastion uh, freaks out and throws the book across the room, which I think even as a kid, I thought, that's weird. That's like a weird reaction. But as an adult, Every I... reaction he had was a weird reaction. <laughs> it really was. As previously established, he's not a very good actor. No. It's a really mind-bendy idea if you were to, like, walk up to a mirror and the mirror is going to show mm-hmm. you your true self. And your true self is like a little child reading a book about you. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like Harry Potter with the Mirror of Erised, where in the Mirror of Erised you just find the the, the thing that you truly want, you know? Mm. It's not a brand new idea. Of course, I guess J.K. Rowling might have stolen it. <laughs> I guess what we're learning is that the never-ending story never ends because it's just being lifted continuously <laughs> by later works. <laughs> but isn't that fantasy in general? Uh, yeah, it, everything's borrowed. yeah. Also noteworthy that the the second the Southern Oracle is just blue versions of the yes. golden uh, booby sphinx, but they're covered yeah. up. The oh. gold, they were oh, wearing were they yeah up? the 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 Southern Oracle had like there was like clothes on it. Like a body. Of something? No, it looked weren't. like it to me. Were there no? Oh oh, this is fascinating. Oh whoa! That we both saw something totally different. Hold on, I guess <laughs> now we're going to watch the Never Ending Story again. <laughs> Stay tuned. We'll be back. Whoa whoa whoa. whoa. What is the secret of this enchanted book? What is the secret of the never-ending story? All right, and we're back. Uh, so it turns out that the second Southern Oracle also had its tits out. <laughs> <laughs> but blue instead of gold. Yes. Blue instead of gold. Yes. Which is kind of is kind of weak. Like, they could have come out with something else for what the Southern Oracle really is. Silver. They just didn't want to have to make different props. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, that is probably exactly what that was. Well, so this movie was, uh, at this at the time this movie came out, this was the most expensive movie made outside of the United States or wow. the Soviet Union. Wow. It cost $27 million to or make. Or the Soviet Union. Yeah, the Soviet Union was big on making, part of the Cold War was also, like, culture wars, and the Soviet Union produced a ton of movies back in the day. I've never seen any of these. Well, it's because you live in America, and we don't let you watch commie <laughs> propaganda. All right, fair. But, uh, yeah, so this was made in Munich in Germany, and it was made by a German company, and at $27 million, it was the most expensive movie ever made by a non 
U.S. or USSR. Well, I'm not surprised that it is. It definitely feels like a big budget film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. well, and it made a hundred million at the box office, which is huge. This is a hugely successful film. Uh, But yeah, so the Southern Oracle's like, you gotta go give the childlike emperor's a name. But before he can do that, the nothing catches up to him. There's a giant. There's like a mountain that walks around, and they call it the Rock Biter. Rock Biter. And uh, I love him. He's really he's great. He's really great. And uh, at at the end of the movie, when uh, the when the nothing is like really destroying the whole world, and Atreus is like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. He has a conversation with the rock biter, where the rock biter says like, he's like, in grief that his big strong hands were not strong enough to save his friends, the other characters, and even as a little kid, that gutted me. Like, mm. That idea about like I failed my friends in this like you know epic way, uh, like that whole that whole image like really stuck with me for a long time after seeing it. Um, it was a heavy moment in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something about the character of the rock biter that I instantly am ingratiated toward. Be- he's so big and he's so rocky. So you would. <laughs> You expect him to be, like, bad, but I think he's actually, like, the most pure-hearted character in the yeah. entire thing. He's just so kind, and I just love that character. Yeah. I think between that and Andre the Giant in Princess Bride, mm-hmm. as a kid, I had the impression that big people were very nice. Like, <laughs> like that the bigger someone was, like, the yeah, whole like concept of gentle giant, yes. Yeah. That the whole world is filled with hodors and pheasants <laughs> and rock biters. If only. Yeah, if only. So yeah. we go in, and he's, like, in this weird ruin, and then suddenly there are painted stills from the movie. And we get, he gets to see... In like still in like still form, every single thing he did during the film, like frescoes on the wall. Yeah, yeah. He sees Artax again, and then at the very and so he sees all the all the things he's done, and then at the end, there's just a painting of a huge, terrifying wolf-like thing, and then he looks over, and the wolf is just sitting there. And in my mind, I was like, the wolf came over here, he painted this entire thing as, like, a really creative way to be like, and I got you. I've been stalking you this whole time. Carry away from me. Yeah, but he's not very smart, because he's like, what are you? And he's like, I am the servant of the nothing, <laughs> and I am, was supposed to kill Atreyu, but I lost him in the swamp of sadness. And he's like talking to Atreyu. Like, doesn't he know yeah. what Atreyu looks like? I felt like? like he was being coy. I felt like he was he was he leading him on. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, I thought he was surprised too. Maybe. But because I I do love the second where Atreyu's like, "Fight me! I am Atreyu." The look on the wolf's face is like. Hilarious, <laughs> right? And so, call back to the to the before we watched the movie for the first time. <laughs> I said to I said to Kevin like whether or not I thought the Gamork the the wolf mm-hmm. would look scary still, and you were like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Marshall? I think it was still great. I thought the wolf still looked scary as fuck. And as you said, there, it was a well-made puppet. It was able to have a wide range of facial expressions, yeah. including shock and aghast. <laughs> you are a tray, you fuck. <laughs> and, and his eyes were so green. It was yeah. terrifying. Yes. They, they have this great back and forth, which really stuck with me as I was a little kid. And at one point, 
the Gamork explains that the nothing, he explains what the nothing is, that the Fantasia represents the landscape of imagination and the nothing is you forgetting your whole imagination. And he's like, when people give up their hopes and dreams, they're easy to control. And whoever has control has the power. And I think even as a little kid, like that hit me and I was like, <gasps> and then so instantly Atreus got a shard of rock in his hand and the wolf lunges at him and Atreyu just, just, I mean, we don't see it because that would, I don't think that the puppet could handle that, but they're already like, at over budget. It fades to black and it comes back. They already had to reuse tell. the Southern Oracle. You can tell that, um, that basically the wolf just like flung itself onto this stone dagger. It was like the easiest kill in the world. It was after that like ten minute monologue yeah. between both of them. I was like, that was it. <laughs> but then they do find the uh, the Empress's castle, right? Which is just floating on a rock <laughs> through space. The beautiful ivory yeah. castle, just <laughs> shining. Yeah. So Natalie, why don't you take us through how their interaction goes? Oh God, I just it was so aggressive because. <laughs> <laughs> Atreyu was just yelling and yelling and the Empress was so calm. I felt like she was just like, listen, buddy, it's fine. Like, it's not about you. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, it really isn't about you. Sorry. She's like, I, you know, it's it's about everyone else. It's about the person that's, that's, that's experiencing this. And I just felt like she was that, like the higher voice in her head being like, to our ego, it is not about you. <laughs> like, <laughs> let it go. <laughs> and Atreyu is just like, I can't. And she just like, I, I mean, that was just so back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But to me, the craziest part was when um, finally, like, Atreyu is out of the picture and it's just her. And then she's desperately um, screaming at the at this with, with this little boy to just say her new name, you know, um, and watching all of the craziness which was, I couldn't tell if it was destruction or if we were cutting back to the attic, which was a lot of times what was happening for me because of those smash cuts. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, no, there's like a, like a huge storm going on, but yeah. then inside of Fantasia, the castle is crumbling because he refuses to give his imagination to her, basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is like the pinnacle point, right, where she, where Atreyu arrives, she tells Atreyu that he, that he needs to find the uh, human that he, boy, that right? That he brought the human boy with him. That he already brought him with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's, like, watching oh, yeah. right now. Right. Which was still difficult to kind of understand, too, because, like, how did he bring... But then it's, like, <laughs> what? Or, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting, because also, I guess, sort of the message here is that you should just give in to letting yourself drift into books, right? Because, like, the whole idea is that Bastion refuses to believe that they're talking about him. And that's mm-hmm. the reason why everything's tearing apart and she's screaming mm-hmm. at the camera, like, just say it. And he's just like, no, I'm not. This like, is, I refuse be. to believe. Yeah, I refuse <laughs> to believe that this book is actually talking about me. Um, but he finally gives in. He shouts something completely incomprehensible. So you had to like go look it up. But he shouts Moonchild. So we're going to assume that his hippie mom is named Moonchild. Yeah. yeah. I, I like my idea. Here. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then boom, everything's safe. Fantasia's back. And yeah, uh, but not quite yet because quite. they start with a single piece of dust, and she tells him, "This is all that's left of Fantasia, but you can rebuild it in your own mind. So start dreaming." And of course, he chooses correctly <laughs> and decides to go <laughs> flying on the Luck Dragon. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, and then at the and then so he flies through all of Fantasia, 
on the luck dragon. They're having a great time. And then suddenly it cuts to him being in the human city on the luck dragon. Yeah. And he and Falcor decide to basically hunt the bully children that attacked him <laughs> in the beginning. And like he and Falcor are laughing and they're chasing <laughs> these kids down an alleyway. And it's just like this great thing of like, we're bullying. Yay. <laughs> they are. They're very, very gleefully bullying at the end. Yeah. Full circle. But you're right. It was so, a little disappointing that it ended on that because it was like this yeah. movie was having such big revelation, mm. mo- like big like moments to me where I'm like, wow, you know, here's a tray you're just showing us how inside we're just all screaming and, <laughs> you know, we just have to let go and see how we are a part of a big picture and we're a part of a bigger story. And oh my God, we ended this on pettiness. Right. <laughs> and like, that's right. how it all ended. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Very pro-bullying message because it's first of all, it's the bullying of the kids that gets him to run into the library. Mm-hmm. Then it's the bullying of the librarian that gets him to read the book. Yeah. And then he reads the book, discovers his own imagination, and imagines himself bullying those kids. Well, <laughs> you know, he, he's learned the lesson twice already. It's a man's world. <laughs> so for you guys, how, what, what was different about this movie than you remembered? You know, so much, because I only got bits and pieces. Um, So so for me, it was like a whole new experience altogether. But I I do remember watching it quickly. Uh, My friends' siblings watching it on their TVs and me walking through their living rooms quickly. (laughs) And there were moments where I was like, oh, that's familiar. But altogether, it was a cool experience. Yeah. I remember it mostly for, like, the imagery and the, the fantasticalness of it. As a kid, but I, something I t- t- took notice of this time around was they're pretty heavy-handed with their metaphors too. It's like the sadness swamp, and it's just like on the second one, it's you have to be confident. Confidence is what gets you through. It's like very much just like directly what the message they're trying to convey, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting to me. I do kind of wonder, like, did they need to be like that <laughs> on that on the nose at certain times? But then on other times, they open up to, like, big mind-expanding ideas without exactly, like, spoon-feeding yeah. them to you. Yeah, at the end when they're explaining that uh, he's up there watching them and somebody else is watching his story, which they're directly referencing us, the viewer. Right. At that point, yeah. I wrote on my little notes, is someone watching us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, is it turtles all the way down? <laughs> it's a very good point. Does a tray like because then like a tray you tell stories about some person and yeah. then that person tells story about persons and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean someone is listening to this right now and we were watching. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and then some and then if you're at home and you tell somebody about you listening to this podcast, it's the never ending story. <laughs> this is becoming a never ending podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I think did hold up though was overall the costumes and the the, the makeup effects and yeah. yeah the puppets and everything or because a lot of times you watch movies from the 80s and you're like I remembered this being awesome and now it's not so awesome but yeah this one that's <laughs> that, why that I was what this podcast is built on <laughs> yeah. yeah that was like a highlight of like Labyrinth when we watched it is that the strength of like the costumes and stuff that the Jim Henson company made was really great yeah and this one, likewise, had just lots of cool yeah. stuff that really held up to the test of time. I remember being upset about that when the CGI started taking over the CGI era, being yeah. like, I like the way, like the dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park are like, you can't beat them. Yeah. They're great. 
Yeah. Well, I guess this brings us around to our titular question. Do I still love it? We already know Kevin still loves it. Natalie, do you still love it? I loved it just as much as I did when I first half saw it. <laughs> this time you whole loved it. I whole love it now. <laughs> Laura Weiss. Oh, absolutely. I, I think this movie's beautiful. Yeah, this movie might be one of my favorite movies we revisited. Like, I'd be interested in watching it again just for funsies. Let's go watch it one more time right now. (laughs) (laughs) The never-ending story. All right, we're back from watching it through the fourth time. So uh, I really want to thank our guests, uh, Kevin Stafford and Natalie Delasio. Uh, Delasio Stafford, I guess. Did you, are you doing the hyphenated last name now? I, I, illegally, yeah, Delasio. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any upcoming projects you'd like to plug? Right now, I'm just music directing at Second City, so I just do the shows there. I don't have any live shows in the works right now, but I have uh, my comedy duo Kindred Throats. We'll be releasing videos on our Instagram and YouTube pages. That's Instagram at Kindred Throats and YouTube backslash at kindred throats great and we'll have links to that in the show notes nevely um i i ha- you can always watch me on my web series land the gig it's on aol's page um so if you google that i'm on there but if you want to see me be a crazy uh, tarot reader my uh, i have a character called gloro and she is a tarot reader from hialeah florida so if you want to watch her, hashtag love readings with Gloro on Instagram. <laughs> um, my handle is at NatCat. So it's um, the at and then N-A-T-T underscore C-A-T-T. Um, yeah. Great. And that's, and yeah, her name is Gloro. So. Great. Well, we will link to that. You can always check us out at Do I Still Love It all over the internets. Uh, check us out and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. Saying, it's the never-ending story. (laughs) 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 (laughs)